The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to begin a brand new week and bring you an exciting new guest. And before I get started, I just want to thank you for the wonderful feedback that I've been getting in regard to the shows. I'm thrilled that the content is something that is supportive, and I look forward to continuing to bring you some very deep insights and amazing people around the globe that are stepping into what they believe is their life purpose and fully living outward in that way, while also modeling to you and showing to you and teaching you how to live full out on the internal level as well. And today's show will absolutely be a new level of that for you and exciting and fun. Uh, while I'm here, I want to say just connect with me on any of my social media, my newsletter, any of my platforms. I have a lot of things that I offer to just support people individually, and there's a lot of free offerings as well as things that you can participate in. The radio show archives are always available. In addition to the brand new issue of 1111 Magazine is out, and it is always free online, so you can go to Simran. Dot com or 1111mag.com. This month's issue is about align. It really is about stepping into alignment. And there are some amazing articles by Mark Allen, who is the publisher of New World Magazine. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary. And his book, The Magical Path, a great article by Kaidi Keating and some amazing insight from different people like the Dalai Lama and Dada Vaswani and so many, Jim Phillips, Chad Cooper, things about crystals and trees and frequency and music and sound. So definitely take a look at that because I'm sure there's something in there for you that will light you up and inspire your spirit to be that much more. The one thing about spirituality is it can also become another belief system. Whenever we are growing and moving, we are wanting to anchor more deeply into who we are. And that deepening process is about learning how to be more human, learning how to tap into our emotions, learning how to bridge that humanity and that divinity. But what can sometimes happen is we either get so bogged down in it and so serious about our spirituality that we forget that this too is simply another way to connect more deeply with ourselves and it can also become a mask. And so today we're going to play a little, poke a little fun at some of the things that spiritualists do while also having a lot of deep learning because I have discovered there are two ways to heal. We have been taught the ways to heal often involve a lot of processing, a lot of crying, many, many tears, and a lot of time spent on the floor. Well, you can still spend your time on the floor, but it could also be doubled up in laughter. Laughter is another way to express to release and to embody your humanity. 
What is ultra-spirituality? Well, ultra-spirituality isn't spiritual. It's way more spiritual than spirituality. It's ultra-spiritual. Ultra-spirituality definitely can't be defined with words. It's far too profound. If one were to use words to define that which can't be defined, you could definitively say that ultra-spirituality is the art of appearing and believing that you're more spiritual than everyone else, which is exactly what makes you more spiritual than everyone else. You could also say that it's not reaching for human potential. It's achieving spiritual potential. This is from the book, uh, of J.P. Sears, and he is my guest today, and the book is entitled How to Be Ultra-Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. Well, isn't that where we need to go? Absolutely, it is time. J.P. Sears is an emotional healing coach, international teacher, world traveler, curious student of life. His work empowers people to empower themselves and live a more meaningful life. He runs a very busy one-on-one client practice. He is just releasing his first book, which you can now pre-order. It actually releases in March, but you can get on Amazon or Barnes & Noble and go ahead and place your order for How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. He leads retreats around the world and enjoys offering different healing and empowerment themes for like-minded and like-hearted people to come together to learn, grow, and heal. He is known as Uh, a viral YouTuber, and he has some really humorous, amazing, and insightful comedy videos, which are known as the Ultra Spiritual Series. And aside from the entertainment value of these videos, they really do carry some very important underlying messages um, that go into some very deep parts of personal growth and empowerment. If your ego really needs the formal credential side of things, he is a certified holistic coach and advanced practitioner, and uh, he also has served as a faculty member for the Czech Institute for several years. But the most important part about him that he would tell you is that he has red hair, blue eyes, a caring heart, and a very warped sense of humor. Welcome, J.P. Sears, to 1111 Talk Radio. Simran, thank you for having me, and everything you about me. I think it actually makes me sound like a halfway functional person, so thank you. I'm, I appreciate you not sharing uh, too much of the shadow side of me, but I would <laughs> thank you for everything you've shared so far. It uh, makes me feel good about myself. That's how codependent I am, and I'm super happy to be on with you. Well, the one thing that I have learned you know, about myself and about everyone else, and I would definitely include you in that even though you are far superior in ultra-spirituality than any one of us, is that there is a fine line between enlightenment and insanity. And I think you really help us walk that middle path beautifully in your book because you bring people to the very crucial points of, of what it means to ground into some of these concepts that really are personal growth, motivation, uh, diving inside oneself and healing. But you do it in a way that you poke fun and that you also help us realize that in our aspirations to be more spiritual, sometimes we can go a little overboard. And I think that's what's an even greater teaching that comes through your book and through your work. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I I am a big fan of uh, believing that wherever we go, our ego is going to want to gratify itself. And you know what, and I take this from my own life, uh, what would be more gratifying than being the most spiritual person around? 
you know, it, uh, I've lived uh, let's see, probably a good 10 years of my life in Southern California, one of the spiritual yoga meccas of the world. Great place. And I was definitely, I spent time losing myself. You know, I would tell myself I'm pursuing spirituality, and indeed I was. And it took me a while to discover I was also pursuing something else simultaneously. I was pursuing ego gratification through, paradoxically, my spirituality. So I, I kind of had to uh, wake up to that, come to terms with that, like, wow, I'm using my my spirituality to gratify my ego. How interesting is that? It is something that I think we all do. I don't think it's something we need to shame ourselves for. I think it's something that we uh, benefit by when we recognize how we're gratifying our ego uh, in any time, any place, any practice, whether it's spirituality, work, family, parenting, um, not for the sake of shaming ourselves, but for the sake of self-awareness, uh, in my opinion. Well, and we're, we're going to get so much into not just the humorous parts of what this book and what you teach and, and how you work are, but also like you're showing right now, that, that vulnerable and also serious side that allows people to really gain insight in either direction, because we can really only meet people where we are, and you have both sides of that. But what I think you do that is even far beyond the videos and the book and the ability to coach people is you are modeling something that is completely profound, and that is that we each have a unique genius. We each come mm. into the planet to illustrate something in our own way with our own artfulness and our own majesty, and in allowing ourselves to be in that full, authentic expression what is meant to come through us and ripple out into the planet in that beautiful transformational way just naturally happens. And it's not going to look like everyone else, and that is the beauty of it, because you don't look like everyone else, um, whether it's physically or how you express in the world or how your voice is. And yet, you know, if you look at the things that you're teaching and talking about, there's hundreds, thousands of us, even the ancients have said these same things, but it's coming across through you in a way that people need to hear it at this mm. time because it's showing also a, another side to healing. And I find that very, very powerful. Talk a little bit about how you view unique genius and what, how you were able to allow yourself to step into this form of authentic expression without your own self-judgments or without wondering how is this going to come across or are people going to yeah. judge me as just one way or the other? Well, I, I love your, your perspective and the question. I, I, I agree. I believe everybody has a unique genius. And I, accordingly, I think the purpose of our life is for us to live our life not for us to live someone else's life, not for us to try to duplicate someone else's genius. I think that uh, that gets us into sort of the inner fool rather than the inner genius. And, and I, I think the genius, uh, well, I don't know for sure. It's my delusional thought is our unique genius isn't created by us. I think it's received by us. I think it comes from a source far beyond our own human self. 
And I think we have the beautiful blessing that probably feels like a curse to the ego, but just liberation and a blessing to our heart and soul that we can become the vessel for what wants to live through us. And I think what wants to live through us is our unique genius. And I don't think it's ours to create. I think it's ours to discover and express or uh, we ignore it and have to suffer the consequences. I think our unique genius, you know, much like the, the, the flower blossom, it, it, it wants to blossom. It's a force of nature that just wants to come through the stem and the flower petals. And I think this force of nature of our unique genius, our gifts, it, want, it wants to live through us. And the more mm. we fight it, I think the louder it knocks and I, I think when we we start to resist it even more, like, wow, that's knocking. Let me, you know, I, I'm feeling called to do something that scares me, which, by the way, I think if it doesn't scare us uh, to some degree, it's probably not our genius. It's probably something else. I think our genius is not there to reinforce our comfort zone. I think our genius is there to propel us out of our comfort zone. Uh, into not the the known, but I think more the mystery uh, is where it wants to point us. So the more we resist it, I think the louder it knocks, and sometimes the knocks are just uncomfortable. You know, we where we will start to feel maybe pain, suffering mentally, maybe physically. We might start to feel depressed if we are trying to refuse our genius from uh, living through us. So with with that said, I think something I've discovered for me is self-doubt comes with the territory of my inner genius. Now, my self-doubt isn't something I want to abide by, but it's something that I've, I've learned to recognize and hopefully put it like on the sidelines, not the middle of the arena of my life, but the sidelines. And and I notice for me, the, uh, you know, you, uh, Simran, you so, you know, gracefully uh, shared your perspective of some of my inner genius. Thank you for that. So if I pretend like my inner genius does come through to a degree in my life, expressing uh, uh, perspectives and uh, spiritual uh, insights through comedy videos as well as sincere uh, teachings as well. Then I would say, you know, there, there's always been self-doubt with that because, like, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen it modeled. I haven't seen kind of like a spiritual teacher with a sincere offering have like a also a goofy, humorous offering as well. So my, my self-doubt along the way has said, mm, JP, this isn't a good idea because nobody's done it before. But, you know, just like the term you're using, like unique genius, that implies, of course, nobody's done it before. And so I've learned to listen to my self-doubt, not to obey it, but to listen to it. And that comes as with an insight that says, okay, when my self-doubt says, ooh, this isn't a good idea because nobody's done it before, I haven't seen this modeled, that usually tells me I'm on the right track. Uh, you know, when when we are pioneering into new territory in our lives and the world at large, uh, I think that 
that tells us, okay, we, we might have our unique genius as a force of nature coming through us. It, it probably doesn't want to just reinvent the wheel and do what's already been done. I think there's a reason why we are on this planet, each individual listening. There's a reason why you are on this planet, uh, because you're supposed to be you. There is something that your life is supposed to express, and nobody else can do that for us. So with all that said, Simran, before I just monologue here for nine or ten hours, it has been a struggle for me, especially in the beginning when I uh, began flirting with my unique genius and then you know the, the, the comedy videos. I told myself a story like this would be bad for business. People won't take me seriously. And but a couple of things happened. One, the when I finally surrendered, like, okay, I do think this is going to be bad for business, making ultra spiritual comedy videos, but I got to do it. I, I just feel the calling. I can't keep betraying myself. I've got to do it. Uh, so it turned out I was wrong. It actually turned out to be great for business. And that's just kind of like a bonus. But the other cool thing it gave me is a lot of inner fulfillment. And and I think our unique genius, it comes from within us. It's kind of like how that the place far beyond us is also somehow within us at the same time. And and I, I know no matter how many accolades or statuses or uh, accomplishments I acquire, uh, some of it's gratifying, but it's not fulfilling. So just like we all know, but sometimes we all need to hear it about a million more times, we can only fill ourselves up from within. And I think the beautiful thing is our inner genius, from my perspective, comes from within and it can really fill us up in sustainable uh, ways as long as we're willing to say yes to the call to the adventure of basically the hero's journey of discovering and expressing our unique genius. And that is the true rebel road. The rebel is the one that understands there's nothing to fix out there. There really is mm. nothing to fix in here. But there is the ability to allow ourselves to be creative and inspired and allow that fountain of youth to bubble from the inside out. I wanted you to have a more authentic view, a, a, a real view, a more serious view, a vulnerable view of J.P. Sears before we go into his gla glorious grandeur of ultra-spirituality. There is always an individual that stands behind their art form, and so you've gotten a chance to see the individual behind the art form. As we move into the next two segments, you're going to get to see how that individual starts to weave and wind within the ultra-spirituality and the humor that is also consciousness. In case you haven't noticed, the new age has become the old age, but don't recycle your crystals just yet. His enlightenment, J.P. Sears, is ushering in the newer age, blinding us with the dawn-like brilliance that is ultra-spirituality. How to be ultra-spiritual? His new book presents ultra-spiritual J.P.'s none-of-a-kind guidance so that you can better yourself through the teachings. You can find out more at howtobeultraspiritual.com. That's howtobeultraspiritual.com. And you will find out that he has amazing endorsements for this book. 
Let me share some of them with you. Loaded with laugh-out-loud humor and intelligent exploration of the spiritual delusions many fall prey to. Enjoy J.P.'s perspective, underlying insights, while you laugh beyond all understanding. This is by none other than Tony Robbins. But it's the other endorsements that I found so deeply profound that I really want you to take to heart and order this book. Funnier than the laws of karma, the universe has said that. JP is the honey badger of the spiritual kingdom. This came directly from Krishna. Buddha said he really got attached to this book. And finally, combines the wisdom of the bearded Jesus with the playfulness of the baby Jesus from the Holy Mother of God. We'll be right back with JP Sears. You can go to howtobeultraspiritual.com. See you in a couple. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is J.P. Sears, and we are talking about his new book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. Through this book, you can find out about competitive spirituality, the ultra-spiritual foundation that the rest of your ultra-spiritual path rests on, why burying your feelings alive makes you thrive, dreaming up your awakening, how to engineer your carefully contrived spiritual narrative, rigidly yogic yoga, the moisture-filled cloud formation that drops rain upon your river so you can flow and flow, following the light to the greener spiritual pastures of veganism, heinous, financial levity, deathliness, and other qualities of the quality guru, mindfulness, all the fullness of mindfulness with none of the mind, and so much more. You can go to howtobealtraspiritual.com. JP, we were talking a little bit about unique genius, and the other side of unique genius happens to be uh, conformity and competitiveness. And you start off the book talking a little bit about competitive spirituality where you say competitive spirituality is the GPS that takes you to destination ultra-spiritual. Like anything in which the objective is to be better than those you're better than, spiritual competition serves as the legs you walk on, the same legs you will use to walk over or stomp on your competition. This holds water in ultra-spirituality as well. Talk about how that not only holds water, it holds holy water and lots of it. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, I, I have to laugh because it's, you know, the whole competitive spirituality thing, lots of it is just based on me and how I've been in my life, comparing myself to other people, like, ooh, am I, am I more conscious than they are? And uh, I think so. And, and even if I'm not, well, how do I appear more conscious, even though I'm not? And I, I, I find it funny, just all the little things I've done. And honestly, I, I see a lot of folks around me, from my perspective, doing these spiritually competitive things, whether it's, you know, competitive consciousness or I need to talk in an even lighter tone of voice than you or let me hold intimate, intimidating eye contact longer than you or let me be more vegan than you, longer than you, whatever it might be. I think these kind of competitive uh, spiritual uh, subtle mindsets that operate at some level for a lot of us work against the very nature of spirituality. From my delusional perspective, the essence of spirituality, if I can pretend like I can distill it down, uh, comes down to acceptance. And I think acceptance is really the, the bridge to connection and union. So I think when, when we're in a competitive mindset with other people, we're really uh, kind of like vibrating at the uh, frequency of rejection. Uh, and then I think even worse, when we're in a competitive posture against ourselves, we're really in a field of self-rejection, not self-acceptance. So it's like we're, we can get incredibly unspiritual while believing and thinking that we're be, becoming more spiritual, that we're walking deeper into our path. And, and I know what I've discovered a lot for, my, uh, for myself is, like, I'll, I'll take a look at who I am and how I am. You know, like, I'm, I'm a flawed person, truly. That's, that's part of me. And, and I'll look at that. And, and without saying this in words, and usually not even a conscious thought, I'll treat myself like I'm not good enough the way I am. I need to be able to meditate deeper. I need to be able to get a little bit more nirvanic than uh, I can now. And ooh, I need my kundalini to rise more. And I need to become, you know, more, more of a substantial figure in the spiritual community around me. It, it's like all of that is the mask of ambition uh, with the reality of self-rejection for me. And it took me many, many years to wake up to how I was losing myself on the very path that I was also finding myself. It's mm -hmm. kind of like this multitasking adventure where, like, I don't want to discount, you know, the spiritual work that I've done. I'm so grateful for it. And I'm still walking the path in my own way. But at the same time, it's like I, I was... I put myself under a hypnotic trance that, that was kind of like a mutually exclusive doctrine. This is, oh, well, if I'm uh, growing, healing, and stepping deeper into myself, then that's the only reality. It's like, well, that's, I think life is a little more three-dimensional than just one dimension. I think that was part of the reality. The other part of the reality is I'm also losing myself uh, in other ways. So I've discovered for me, and a lot of other people have been able to share like, yes, me too, JP, that what has served us well 
may eventually start to really disserve us. And I think that's maybe why our friend the Buddha would talk about uh, non-attachment. Let's be careful about becoming overly attached to things, practices, philosophies that work really well for us because they might work really well for us for a while, a month, a year, 10 years. And then that which helped us may eventually begin to hurt us. Why? Because we freaking outgrow it. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, when we were five years old, wearing a pair of pants that fit a five-year-old well, that was perfect. It serves us well. But honestly, we outgrow those. And if we're not willing to unattach ourselves from our childhood wardrobe, it, it then becomes material of constriction. So I'm a big fan of believing, like psychologically, our beliefs, our practices, and the meaning that we put onto our practices uh, are much the same. That's a great analogy in regard to the childhood wardrobe and, and willing to, to move on from that. And when we talk about that competitive spirituality, the way that you do it in a humorous way for people is is very simple because it's kind of like if I were to say I meditate, uh, you would just tell me that you meditate more. Or if I told you that I had amethyst crystals, you would say... Yeah, uh, how many do you have and how big are they? And what would you pay for them? And, well, I've got more in this crystal. This type of crystal is probably a little bit better. It's got a bit of, bit of a uh, healing vibe, a better healing vibe, that is. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's pretty goofy. And I went to a retreat and I, you know, I went to a sweat lodge and, you know, I've, I've done all that kind of stuff. I've really, I've really released a lot of stuff and I've really done so much work on myself and that's that's kind of that competitive place that we tend to go and when you talked about the rejection of other people by doing that then what we're really doing is we're rejecting ourselves because as you say in your book it is all a mirror yes yeah yeah that that is my um my point of view and i think you know it's hard to get out of a prison that we don't know we're in. If we're in a prison of perpetual self-rejection while believing that we're actually accepting ourselves more, you know, it's like, I'm not good enough the way I am. I have to be the ultra meditator, ultra, like uh, the retreat junkie, whatever it is. Uh, that's a lot of self-rejection. So I think, you know, there, there's so much beauty and self-empowerment through new awareness when we can learn to recognize the prison of self-rejection we've been in, we're, we've just taken a power, powerful step of self-liberation. And it's a, it's a scary awareness, at least for me. It sounds glorious, yet you know, self-rejection, from my point of view, it's a very painful state to be in. So one of the consequences of becoming aware of it is, Now we have to feel the authentic feelings of rejection of self that we've been living with. The, I think, consequence of not recognizing it is that which we don't know about ourselves tends to control us a lot. So our self-rejection 
uh, and essentially our rejecting the awareness of our self-rejection may continue to dictate our lives. Uh, So, you know, when it comes to uh, spiritual practices, and I sincerely mean this, I don't care what people do. What I care about is why do you do what you do? Uh, are you doing this? And usually our first, they're like, why do you do this? Usually our first answer is a story that, you know, sounds really good to us. So I think we need to ask ourselves the question like, okay, why do I do what I do? Why do I really do what I do? So we can go a couple layers uh, deep. But, you know, it's one thing if if I do what I do because I'm trying to escape myself. I'm trying to escape a feeling of insignificance inside. Then I realize, like, wow, my behaviors are shame-based behaviors. Uh, my, my need to escape my shame is driving my behaviors, my spiritual practices. And it, if on the next day we're doing our same practices, our same behaviors, but our why is different. We're in a genuine place of using our practices, using our crystals, using our meditation to connect to us rather than disconnect and reject. Then to me, that's a, a very different result that we're getting. So I, I, I would invite everybody here to consider, okay, what, what is one of the most near and dear practices you have in your life? And why? Why do you invest in that? And then that's of such course, a powerful, powerful question, and and it's such a question that needs to be asked on a constant basis. Why do you do what you do in in mm-hmm. everything that that you're engaging in? Uh, because we don't really realize that we create patterns and we create repetition, and all of a sudden we're just doing it out of ritual rather than really understanding. Um, and, and one of those things happens to be the conversation around our story that we tell. We, we, we don't realize that we have a repetitive way and addiction to oftentimes telling our story. And it mm. just kind of will flow out without really knowing why you're telling it or even the, the underlying feature around it. You have another section in your book that goes into, you know, how people get so invested and engaged in their stories and, and then about how to move the ultra-spiritual perspective around mindfulness because that's kind of an oxymoron. Mindfulness is actually a fold-up mind and when, when the optimal goal is actually to have an empty mind. So talk a little about the tie-ins of those two between the story that we continue to tell and then going to a place of mindfulness. Yeah, you know, I, I think our minds love stories. <laughs> I know I'm not the first one to suggest that. And I think stories are great. I don't want to get rid of my mind. I, I love my mind. I think it works for me. And the stories it makes up are pretty entertaining. And and I think a lot of the stories my mind makes up have to do with who I am, how I am, why I am. Uh, so a lot of stories that create an identity of who I am. So I can have like a mental concept, like a sense of certainty about who J.P. Sears is. And, and I think those stories are great to have and uh, maybe harmful to really identify with. 
So I, I notice a lot of us love to have, it might be a story of overcoming adversity and here's where I'm at now. It might be a story of identifying with being the victim. You know, I was abused and I'm always going to be the victim. It might be a story of identifying as the rescuer or healer. This is who I am. And I, I think those are cool stories, but at the same time, what if we're losing ourselves in them? What if we realize that who I am has nothing to do with my stories? Nothing, who I am doesn't even have anything to do with my beliefs of myself. But when I can learn to uh, have my stories but not take them so seriously, give myself permission to have my beliefs but not believe my beliefs as much, So in other words, if if I can learn to be playful with my stories rather than serious about my stories, I think that playfulness about our stories helps us move beyond our stories. Like, we'll keep the stories, but we're also going to move beyond them rather than being limited by them, being swallowed up by our stories, only functioning kind of like in the first-person perspective of our story. but. When we can become playful, and I love humor for this, I think it really is an alchemist that dissolves the gravity of our stories and replaces it with levity that helps us become liberated and move beyond our stories. I think that helps us. I think who we are is way beyond our stories. Beautiful. This is J.P. Sears, and we are talking about his new book, How to Be Ultra-Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. I want to read a small passage to you that is quite humorous. So in J.P. Sears' words, why is the universe part of this world? So it can enjoy an ongoing one-to-one conversation with you, obviously. This gives the universe purpose. I know this because I once asked the universe and it told me, without the opportunity to play magic eight ball with your questions, the universe feels lost in the dismal purposelessness of expanding galaxies into infinite dimensions and keeping track of quadrillions of stars and planetary systems. Asking the universe isn't the end game here. Don't get me wrong. Your results will be good if it is. In fact, they'll be better than good. They'll be spiritual. But why stop there? Your results will exponentially increase into the realm of the ultra-spiritual the more you share with people the fact that you're the type of person who asks the universe. Compare these two statements. I decided that I'm going to move to Asheville. I asked the universe, and it told me to move to Asheville. From which statement do you taste the saccharifrous sweetness of ultra-spirituality? Making your own decisions only illustrates your slavedom to the uninvolved mind. However, letting the universe make your decisions for you plugs you into an infinitely more progressive network of power. This is from the book, How to Be Ultra-Spiritual by J.P. Sears. You can find out more at his website, HowToBeUltraSpiritual.com. We'll be right back after these messages. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. 
Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized. So you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I invite you to go to my website and check out all of the offerings there. You can access all archive uh, issues of 1111 Magazine as well as the radio shows and And check out my own books, Conversations with the Universe, Your Journey to Enlightenment, and Your Journey to Love, along with the one-on-one and um, different types of retreats that I host. I would love to have you at any time if any of those things call to you. You can find out more at IamSimran.com or 1111MAG.com. One of my favorite passages in J.P. Sears' book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority, has to do with gurus. Everyone knows that I constantly tell people that they don't need any other gurus, that this is not a time for gurus anymore, that we are here to be examples. Well, I think he has a brilliant uh, illustration of this in his book. As an ambitious spiritualist seeking even more spiritualness for your spirituality, you do, however, need a guru. A guru is the aforementioned dirt that envelops you, allowing the sacredness of you to take root and grow. Without a guru, you're passing up a guaranteed path to enlightenment. Believe it or not, that's antagonistic to your enlightenment. Gurus not only have devoted their life to become enlightened and worshipped by others, they're also generous enough to formulate rules for you to follow, tell you what to do, instruct you what to think, correct you when you're wrong, teach you how to respect them as the authority figure, and furnish a group of people to belong to in a family environment consisting of humans far better than your actual family. This is obviously quite different from what your parents provided. The major difference is that gurus know what's in your best interest. On the other hand, parents prey on naive children, gullible enough to believe that their parents know what's in their best interest. If only they were there were a way to save children from years of being misled by flawed parents. While children are a lost cause, you can save yourself by clinging frantically to the life preserver casually tossed by your guru. The naive child thinks, I'm unintelligent enough to believe that my dysfunctional parents know what's best for me. The intelligent spiritualist thinks, I have enough faith to know that my perfected guru knows what's best for me. And make no mistake, gurus aren't teachers because they have nothing to teach you. And that's exactly what they're trying to teach you through their illumined teachings, that you already carry your enlightenment inside. You just need a guru to stand in the way between you and your inner illumination to help teach you how to discover it. That's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant, JP. <laughs> well, uh, so I'm taking uh, new uh, customers. If you're looking for a guru, it's only going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars a year, too. By the way, and that's not a fee. That's just that's a mandatory voluntary donation. Of course, of course. Well, and it's the truth, though, because what they're doing is they're really just trying to lead you back to you. 
And we can either take what I call the scenic route, or we can take the straight line just into ourselves. And this is just such a beautiful way that you take people back to how they are really reincarnating their childhood (laughs) by another figure outside of themselves. Yeah, it's (laughs) fascinating. And, you know, I've had some powerful mentors in my life. And in the beginning relationships with these mentors, I would treat them as a guru. And then both these guys would say, I'm not a guru. But yeah, whatever. Uh, only a guru would say I'm not a guru. So, you know, I would treat them as a guru. And really what I was doing is, uh, per, you know, projecting my, my father onto them and, you know, wanting them to be the, the ideal father that I, I never had, like all the whatever perfect things about a dad that maybe I didn't have, like trying to find these in a guru. So it, it to me, that's a very... Um, disempowering position that I was putting myself in. You know, I was coming from the place, you know, really posturing myself into the position of a hurt, uh, scared child coming from a place of scarcity. Now, there's a lot of excitement, hope, and honestly, infatuation uh, that goes with that. So it sure doesn't feel like a disempowering position to be in. But I think ultimately, when we give someone else our power, it works against us. Again, mm. it can feel hopeful. We can have so much infatuation. But I, I do believe that our personal power should be ours, not someone else's. And I think there are so many people to learn from, so many mentors, teachers. Yes, there's a reason why other people are on planet Earth. They have a lot to teach us. And... I think out of respect for ourselves, we're well served when we learn from them while keeping our personal authority and that not putting ourselves into the energetic position of a disempowered child, but keeping ourselves in, in the um, empowered position of standing our sacred ground. And honestly, I think it's, it's challenging yet so helpful when we can look at our teachers as though they are our equals. And if, you know, if we can't see the shadow side of the teacher that we're learning from, then my guess is we're either blinding ourselves or they're manipulating us by covering it up. So one of the first things I love to ask people before I'm going to you know, take a course from them or learn from them is what's your shadow side like? Uh, I am not into uh, people who, who want to pretend it's not there. I don't want to pretend it's not there. I used to want to pretend that, but I, uh, I want to see people more on equal ground rather than giving myself away or buying into some sort of fictitious, story that says, oh, well, they're, they're not a human. Uh, because something... we all have it. We all have both that dark and light. And, and what we don't want to see in the other is what we don't want to see in ourselves. And I do mm. want to state, um, simply because I've gotten backlash in the past for talking about gurus, I do want <laughs> to state that this isn't the disrespect of the guru, but sure. it is the disrespect of the self when we, yes. when we say that we're not an equal to someone else. That is really where the disrespect comes from. I love a statement you have in the book where um, 
where you kind of show people how they contradict their words, and it happens to come around the place of judgment. And and the quote that you have here as an ultra-spiritual proverb is, remind people often, quote, I'm not judging you, quote, they surely will not feel judged. But yet, you, by the mere presence of saying that, you actually are judging. So I, that's, that's the subtlety and the beauty of so many of of your um, ultra-spiritual proverbs that are in here. Talk a little bit about judgment. Yeah, welcome to humankind. What if you find out uh, you're never not judging and it's impossible not to judge? And I, I definitely, uh, I know a lot of us at times will say, you know, I'm, I'm being non-judgmental. Well, we're actually judging ourselves to be non-judgmental. I'd like to, to be able to, you know, observe non-judgment. We're making a, a judgment, and I, I think that's part of the human condition. We all have a human mind. It's relative, and that's okay. I think when we can make judgment our friend, we can have healthy limits and boundaries on it. But when we judge judgment to be a bad thing, then we try to, then we go into denial about it. That's denial is a mechanism that will oftentimes employ against things that we feel physically or psychologically threatened by. And then I think we're, we're kind of the ostrich with his or her head in the sand where we are blind to our own judgment while believing that, ah, I'm a non-judgmental person. Like I'm judging my human nature to be such a bad thing that I have to pretend that I'm not a human. I have to judge myself to be non-judgmental while not seeing the paradox of it. So I think, honestly, if we can have healthy limits and boundaries on our judgment, it helps it be a part of us. It doesn't dominate us. And I do, uh, I'm a big fan of believing if something rhymes, it's true. So there's something that rhymes that says what we resist persists. I think if we resist our judgments, then the strength of them persists. So what, what would happen if we gave ourselves permission to first off acknowledge our judgments and not judge ourselves for being judgmental? We just let ourselves have our judgments, and then even speaking those judgments to other people, owning them rather than suppressing them and then misdirecting them. I I think to me, the whole practice of accepting judgments rather than judging them to be bad and therefore trying to reject our judgments, what we resist persists, I think it really is a powerful way uh, to facilitate us embracing the delusional human being that we are and accepting our human nature a little bit more. Let me share another section from J.P. Sears' book, How to Be Ultra-Spiritual, Twelve and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. It is in the section around non-judgment, and it is the non-judgmental force number two, kill your ego. Killing your ego, yourself, is an act of pure love and acceptance. The effective eradication of your ego comes from your, in, from your ability to say, I have no ego. What's the proof that you have no ego? Just listen to a voice recording of you saying that you have no ego. Even better, play that recording for others. Being so free from the ego that you can brag about having no ego exponentially increases the light speed that your spirituality sympathetically slaps people in the face with love and light. Wow, that's a powerful way to be ultra-spiritual. 
JP. Truly powerful. Murdering, you say your, your ultra-spiritual proverb is, murdering your ego is the most loving thing you can do for your unconditional loving spirit. That's the ultra-spiritual way of looking at it. Hmm. Simran, I have so little ego right now that I can't even hear you because I can't differentiate between you and I. All I perceive mm. right now is oneness. Mm. That, that must be the next level compassion that you also teach about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, next level, yeah. What's better than compassion? Well, next level compassion. Don't accept the people <laughs> for who they are. Accept them for who you want them to be, for sure. Yeah, you know, ego, uh, again, it's one of these things, well, Welcome to humankind. I think a lot of us who try to kill our ego, get rid of it, uh, are actually becoming a slave to our ego. I think it's very egotistically gratifying the idea to no longer have an ego. And it's very egotistically gratifying within the landscape of our spirituality. And, you know, I, I personally, I, I like having an ego. It, it allows me to experience a sense of separation, allows me to experience relativity, feel things, have experiences, rather than just knowings. And I, I don't want to be a slave to my ego, though I probably am at times, but I'm working on it. So while I, I'm not aiming to be a slave to my ego, I want to have it. I think there's a big difference between having an ego versus being driven by our ego. And... And I think our ego being a part of our life rather than our life is something that actually enriches our life rather than dampens it. Well, I think, JP, what the most beautifully authentic and spiritual thing that you do through your work, through your videos, and through this new book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, is you really are illustrating to people how we can laugh at ourselves. Because we have so many little intricate things that we do that truly are comical in their own right because we take ourselves so seriously. And if we can just realize that it is our seriousness that is the disease on the planet and truly lighten up through humor, through lightness, through understanding that our seriousness is what gets us in the way then we really will come together in a place of oneness. So thank you for your beautiful work in the world, for being willing to courageously express your authentic, unique genius, and for putting out a brilliant book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual by J.P. Sears, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. You can find out more at howtobealtraspiritual.com. I urge you to get his book and to definitely check out his videos. If you haven't noticed, the new age has become old age. So he is an international teacher, speaker, and performer at events around the world, emotional healing coach, curious student of life, and satirist best known for his popular YouTube channel. JP's ultra-spiritual videos have accumulated over 100 million views. For more information, definitely check out who he is, howtobeultraspiritual.com. Until next week, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be loved. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember... 
You are not on the journey. You are the journey.